It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, I'm Tom Standage, and this week, The Economist asks, how should we perceive reality? I'm joined today by the theoretical physicist Carlo Rovelli, whose book, Seven Brief Lessons on Physics, distilled complex theories about our universe into lucid prose and became an international bestseller. His new book, Reality is Not What It Seems, dives into the conundrum at the heart of physics today. How do you reconcile the theory of quantum mechanics on the one hand with Einstein's theory of general relativity on the other? And he reckons he has an answer. But as well as tackling theoretical physics, Mr. Rovelli has long been engaged in political activism. In the 1970s, he was involved with the leftist anti-authoritarian movement across Italy. Carlo Rovelli, thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> thank you for having me. Now, the title of your new book suggests that we need to take a different view of our perception of the world. Uh, it's called Reality is Not What It Seems. So what is it that we're not seeing? We don't see that the Earth is a sphere, for instance, and we think it's flat, and then we learn that it's a sphere, and so we can travel around the world, and so on. We don't see that the Earth moves, but it does, and, uh, and we're all convinced that it does, and so on and so forth. We learn uh, step by step that reality is more complicated than what we thought before. So what you very cleverly do in the book is you lead us through lots of examples like that, going right back to the earliest philosophers and earliest scientists, because you want to build up to the fact that there's a really more fundamental way that we are not seeing reality as it really is. Yes, and also because I think science is a long historical process that is much better understood looking it through the, the history. The ideas on which scientists are working today, even the more dramatic, the more strange, I think are more comprehensible if one traces back how they were born and how they evolved. So absence of time, discreteness of space, the strange things appear step by step. Okay, so there are two two very big ideas. Let's let's quickly dig into those. Absence of time. So one of your interesting, extremely interesting claims is the idea that time is itself an illusion or an, at least an epiphenomenon of other things. So what exactly is the basis for claiming that? It's an illusion. It's not an illusion in the sense that it's false. Of course, we live in time and we cannot cheat with time. <laughs> we, we are immersed in it. But uh, I think there's uh, good evidence, not conclusive, but good evidence to believe that if we want to write a fundamental theory of the world at the physical level, we better forget about time altogether and don't try to write equations uh, describing how things change in time, but only how things change one with respect to the other. Is there an example of something else that we experience and uh, we are sure yes, is real? Th there is one uh, a, a, a similar one which sort of we just hinted at, which is up and down. Up and down are, are a crucial aspect of our reality, and they're real. I mean, I cannot walk on the ceiling. Nevertheless, uh, the f equations of physics that we learn at school, uh, Newton theory, the, 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 it's, there's no up and down in the fundamental world. And in fact, there's no up and down outside the Earth, so to say. For astronauts, there's no up and down. So up and down are real thing, but not fundamental thing. They're not all over 
they right. appear sort of just on the crust of our little planet. So it's a side effect of the way that gravity works. That we, it's that we a side effect of the way that gravity works and where we are and the fact that there's a solid thing. We're not falling. We're just staying up. And uh, Okay. So you've sold me on time. Time is not what we think it is. The other one you, just, you mentioned there was the idea that space is quantized, that it's like a sheet of graph paper with very, very small cells. And again, what's the basis for believing that, which sounds very much at odds with the way we experience the world? The basis is uh, it's, it's pretty simple. We learned two things last century in fundamental physics. One is that space is, is sort of dynamical. It bends, and that was Einstein's great intuition. So it's like a piece of paper that can fold and so on. And the other, that everything which is dynamical and, and, and any, any physical quantity is quantized. And quantized means, in particular, to be made by little quanta. Quanta means grain, atoms, little little packets. So if you just bring the two ideas together, sort of naively, directly, it suggests that space is made by little grains. So in other words, you cannot take space and divide it arbitrarily in arbitrary small chunks. At some point, there's a minimal chunk. A minimal so it's unit. like a, a beach looks like a continuous surface, but actually it's made up of grains of sand. Exactly, precisely so. These grains are not in space, they're not somewhere. They are themselves the where. They are themselves the space. That's so, what space is made of. Okay, well, this brings us very close to your idea of how you unify quantum theory with relativity, which is your theory of loop quantum gravity. Obviously, you're known for being able to explain very difficult concepts succinctly. So how do you explain your <laughs> own theory um, in, a, in a format that mortals can understand? The core of the theory, uh, first, it's not just mine. There are other people, a number of people involved in that. Second, I should uh, say up front, it's an attempt to solve this problem. We're not sure about the solution. Mm. I hope it's right, of course. I, I believe is right, but I know also that I'm not sure it's right. The central idea is what I just said, this granularity of space. Uh, and so the problem then becomes to write the mathematical equations that describe this, uh, this quanta, how they interact, how from this quanta the rest emerges, so what we usually call space and time. And then the real problem is, can we check it? Yes, so can you? Because people famously complain about string theory, a rival theory of everything, that it's untestable. Absolutely. I'm, 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 I, I can talk very negative about string theory and say it's untestable, except that the, the theory in which I work is not much better either. Oh, right. It's, <laughs> it's equally untestable. Well, it's not untestable. I think these theories are not untestable. It's a bit too much. They are not tested so far. And uh, we're trying, we're trying hard. What uh, might a test of these theories look like? How could you check if space was really quantized, for example? From the theory, we can derive consequences and test these consequences. This is the way uh, usually in science you do things. Um, and uh, there are consequences which have been studied. Uh, I am now working on black holes and the possibility that black holes explode. And this is su suggested by the theory, so uh, that's that's a possibility, perhaps. Right, so you might be able to make predictions that would then be checkable against what we observe. Exactly, right. exactly. And usually concerning phenomena which are astrophysical phenomena or cosmological phenomena. Well, I want to go back to the idea. You, you tell the story of the cave from Plato's Republic in your book. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with it, uh, what's the story of the cave and are we still living in one? Through the case, the myth that Plato uh, tells, there's a number of men which are chained inside a cave and uh, it's very dark. There is a fire behind them and the only thing they see is shades of objects. The shadows on the, the wall. The shadow on, on project, project on the wall of the, of the cave. And that's its initial situation. But then what happens is that one of these men f succeeds in freeing himself and goes out of the cave and uh, nice things happen. The first is that he's completely blinded by light so he doesn't get confused, basically. 
basically. But then he sort of gets used to it, starts seeing things, and he realizes that what he has been seeing so far were just shadows and uh, not the real thing. So he's all excited. He comes back and tells his friends, look, look, I mean, I, I've seen much better. You, you are only seeing shadows. And of course, at the beginning, people don't believe him. So is that, are we living in a cave and are you potentially, you know, are you suggesting that these other ways of looking at reality are analogous to going outside it? I think to some extent this myth captures exactly what is what is science. If it doesn't do it well is because it seems to be saying that there is a yes and no, having being totally blind or having completely clarified the thing. And the history of science is a history of progressive clarifications, I think. So we we understand better. We have a better understanding of reality. At each step, we have a more wide understanding of reality. I think humanity as a whole, it's like, you know, child that learns more, goes around, discovers that the world is far more complicated, there are more stuff, more ideas, uh, more possibilities. It doesn't mean that he has learned everything. So but we is are. there a right way of looking at reality? Because if I'm a very small insect, for example, then water behaves in a very different way to me. And if you look at the way that insects manipulate you know, drops of water, they experience water differently. And you wouldn't say that they're right and I'm wrong. So might there not be multiple ways of looking at the universe that are all equally valid. Absolutely. There, there might be multiple ways. We are, we're not sure our way is final in any sense, but definitely there are better and worse ways, uh, at least for us. That's the strength of science, I would say, not taking its own realizations uh, uh, final, de- definitive, uh, but taking them as uh, better maps of reality, always knowing that there could be a much better map or a different map that capture other aspect of this. So far, I would say, maybe this is a surprise for, for humanity as a whole, reality seems to be pretty coherent and understandable. We certainly do not we understand reality through physics, chemistry, economy, history, psychology, and so on. There certainly is no perfect match between these things, the gaps. But there's no strong contradiction either. Let's turn now to your uh, your background in, in radical politics. What is the connection, if any, between radical politics and quantum physics? It's the same thing. Revolution, changing, finding total, totally different things, jumping out of what you have around and trying to look something different. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, of, of course. But on the other hand, that has been my path, in a sense. I got... Um, Which way round was it? Well, I got disappointed that I thought that I could easily change the world with my friend and make a world which is more just, more equal, more... And then I realized that uh, it's not so easy and not everybody wants a world. world so this like was that. part of the autonomia movement, which was a sort of occupy of its day, is that uh, fair? No, no, no. I was just part of that generation, I'm 60, part of that generation that was dreaming about changing the world in a number of different ways. So it was a mixture of Leninism and hippism and uh, Indian uh, religion. It was a very complicated mix. But for you, that path led to quantum physics. So how did that happen? Well, it happened that at some point I realized that it's not so easy to change the world and uh, people don't want to change the world. Uh, people are pretty happy with the world as it is, and, and apparently. And then at that point I did uh, what I think a lot of intellectuals have been doing, at least in the West, uh, namely there is a space of complete freedom where you don't have to be, uh, as, as it was said at the, at the time, in the system, <laughs> uh, which is science, which is knowledge, which is art. And there things change. They, they 
where revolution happened. So that's what fascinated me. The adventure of politics became the adventure of science in my in, in my own life. Yes, people say scientists like to defend theories, but the reality is scientists dream of overturning theories and finding better theories underneath them. And that's what you've been trying to do. So that's ultimately what you're searching for here. Yes, at least that's ideal, right? We would like to go out of the cave a little bit and uh, see beyond the present vision of reality, see a little bit more. We have some questions from our Twitter audience. The first is from somebody called MartyBoy10, who asks, how much longer does the Earth as we know it have to live? And how much longer do you think mankind has? Do you have a view on sort of extinction of humanity? Yes, I do. The Earth probably still has... a. many millions here, possibly even billions. Humanity, of course, I don't know, but I do know that the risk of destroying ourselves is real, it's strong, and we should take it very seriously. Is there a particular threat you're most worried about? Uh, Martin Rees has, has talked about this. Elon Musk is worried about, you know, some kind of catastrophe, so we have to move to Mars. What keeps you awake at night? Well, it doesn't keep me awake at night. What keeps me awake at night is what I'm going to do tomorrow, what is my girlfriend doing, and <laughs> and, and this equation I can't solve, and these kind of things. There is an old uh, Indian, in the Mahabharata, which is the old Indian epics, at some point uh, the main uh, character is asked, what's the greatest mystery? And he says, uh, each man leaves us uh, if he was immortal. But it's not true. <laughs> and uh, we as a species, we leave, we sometimes think, well, what are we going to do when we will be all over the galaxy? galaxy in 10,000 years in the future. It's far from obvious that we still exist in 10,000 years in the future. I don't want to be pessimistic, but I think uh, we should consider it seriously and not make mistakes. We have another question from someone called Paul A. Davies, not the Paul Davies, I assume, (laughs) um, who asks, uh, what do you think about dark matter? And how does that fit in with your theories? And do you think it's possible that that in fact it's not there? Dark matter, it's uh, probably the most clear example of something that we do not understand. We have no idea what it is, or equivalently, we have uh, seven or eight alternative ideas of what it is, so no one obviously is uh, convincing. I have no idea. It's outside the present theories. My hope and uh, my preferred explanation, but I wouldn't bet much on it, is that it's not so exotic after all, and it's already explained by present theories. It's just a lot of little black holes. This would be, it sounds exotic, but in fact, black holes are predicted a real in the in, in the world so it how could small is a very small black hole is it subatomic or is it a size a, of an orange a, a black hole a size of an orange is more heavy than the earth so they could be millimeter size or, or, or much smaller black holes. It's a possibility. It's not a very likely possibility among the others. We'd it's notice one if one of those went past, wouldn't we? A very small black hole, smaller than that, could uh, cross through the Earth without doing too, many, too much damage. But there has been even some speculations, I don't think very credible, that this big meteorite that uh, flashed through the atmosphere a few years ago was actually a black hole, I think has been disproved. But a big enough black hole could, could do some damage going through. But it's not going to eat the Earth, somebody has suggested. You've said that everything we know today is probably an approximation of something we do not yet know. So is, uh, is dark matter potentially an example of that? Yes, it could be. It could be one of these uh, little windows that opens the door to something completely new. It has happened often in the history of science that uh, people thought of having sort of everything under control, and that there was a little detail which showed that there is an immense new world to be explored. We have a question from Tim Anderson, who says, during the course of your career, which discovery in physics or astronomy has surprised you the most? The big discoveries of the last years uh, have been. Uh, 
that there is nothing really surprising. The great scientific news of, of, of this year has been the discovery of gravitational waves. I was expecting it. I was strongly expecting it. It was wonderful when it came out. It was fantastic. It was exactly like Einstein had predicted. But if you think for a moment, it's just a confirmation of something that we knew. And the Higgs is the same. It was a confirmation of something that we knew. Nature has been telling us for the last 30 years, look, the world is remarkably like in your equations. So what you studied at school, there have been a lot of hype about strange quantum mechanical phenomena being confirmed. And in fact, they keep coming out. People say, look, 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 the fantastic experiment. Look how strange is nature. True. But it's exactly strange, like it was written in my textbook when I started 30 years ago. So in a sense, we are in a funny position in the history of science now. We have extremely good uh, theories, uh, and uh, nature keeps saying, well, the world is like in your theories. So that's why dark matter is interesting, because it's different. Dark matter is something that doesn't seem to be in the theories. So it's more interesting what contradicts what we know than what confirms what we know. Carlo Rovelli, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That was Carlo Rovelli talking about his new book, Reality is Not What It Seems. Do send us your thoughts on anything you've heard today on the small matter of what constitutes reality and Carlo's take on it to radio at economist.com or you can tweet us at Economist Radio. You've been listening to The Economist Asks with me, the real Tom Standage. In London, this is The Economist. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.